0: It's often been, been said, and it's, it's, it's true, it's, it's not as much of, of what you know as it is who you know. There really is something about being connected, uh, to get the right job or the right recommendation or the right something. Well, today, we've got an encounter with the biggest connection of all. As a matter of fact, we come every week to be in connection with, in communion with, The divine today we are we are called to to Come into that contact and then and then the divine asks us. How are we to respond? We've got to be a little bit careful because every time we think that God is speaking to us directly we we may be a little bit presumptuous I'm always a little bit leery of the of the uh, Prosperity preachers who go on the television channels and say now I was I was walking down the street eating a tuna fish sandwich And God told me if you just put that $100 check in the envelope and mail it to my ministry, I will mail you back a prayer cloth and he will double and triple your money. I'd be a little bit leery of that. I'm not quite sure that's, although I must confess. I I, I really did hear the voice of God speak to me clearly once. I was moaning and groaning about how difficult my life was in working among the poor down in Hopkins Park and I'm going on and on and on. I swear I heard the voice of God say, because i said what what do i do what do i do and he said shut up (laughs) i i swear i heard that (laughs) be still and know that i am god well well today we've got we've got the great encounter we have moses encountering god uh, and, and and whenever God enters into history, whenever He does speak to His prophets, whatever He does speak to, well, uh, He'll be speaking to the uh, chapter when you all come together as as the body of Christ. He'll be speaking, and corporately you're going to listen to Him and then respond to that. So, but 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 He, but God enters only to save. So He's entering to this conversation, this dialogue with Moses in order to to save. Uh, We know the backstory of Moses. He, you know, pulled out of the water, raised by Pharaoh's daughter, in the court of the king, all kinds of power. But he knows that he's a Hebrew, and he sees one of the Hebrews suffering, so he kills the Egyptian who's maltreating him. Now he's a a murderer and a fugitive, and so he runs off, and he's in Midian, and he's tending the flocks. And it's then, at this point, with this fugitive and this murderer, that God comes to speak. And it's very interesting. Whenever we encounter God, Uh, Rudolf Otto, who wrote a seminal book called *The Idea of the Holy*, that really changed my life in many, many ways. When I was a young seminarian, he he, he describes perfectly what's going on with Moses. He sees this bush and it's burning, but it's not being consumed, and he is utterly attracted to it. He's he's going to go towards it. Uh, yeah, but as soon as he gets close enough, he hears the voice of God say, Moses, Moses, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Otto says, and he calls this the Mysterium Tremendum e Fascinosum, which means it's, a, it's something that's so overwhelming, it's so tremendous, it's beyond our comprehension, it is utterly transcendent, but utterly fascinating. You can't keep your eyes off it. Well, Moses tries to hide his face, but he's, he can't do it. He's, he's got to look. He's got to see. This is at once a God who is personal, imminent, almost tribal. He's calling Moses by name. God, God calls us by name from our mother's womb. He pronounced our name. Yeah. Um, and at the exact same time, utterly transcendent come come no closer you are you are on holy ground now now i have now asked you to go into the country of egypt to liberate your people to lead them into a land flowing of milk and honey that i will show you god enters into history to say we dare to believe that the tragedy that is going on right now in this world that god is in the midst of it somehow we can't see it now. We certainly can't see it right now to save. That something is going on beyond our comprehension, utterly transcendent, but very personal. How personal to each and every one of those young Ukrainian fighters who are who are fighting for their democracy. And so God is sending. He's sending Moses off. And of course, anytime God goes to a prophet, they've got an excuse why they don't want to go. You know? uh, Isaiah's is a potty mouth, and Jeremiah is too young, and of course Moses a little later runs because but, I, but, I, but I'm, I'm a stutterer, and he's like, not a problem. Yeah. You 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 are to go, but well he's got one more question. When I go, and this is a talk about transcendence. When I go, whom shall I tell them sent me? And and and, uh, and God says. Uh, no. Oh, then he says something even more interesting. What's your name? What's your name? See, when you name someone, you limit them. In some ways, you've got some control over them. Uh, when we were fighting in Vietnam, we named the enemy Charlie because then we can dismiss him. He became less than human. So when you name somebody, you're, you're kind of categorizing them. You're putting them in a box, especially if it's a derogatory name but he's not doing that he just wants to know what what name do I call you by what, who will who shall I tell them sent me and of course the response is I am tell them I am sent me Of course some translations have I am who am Now we're not talking about a being one individual separate and outside well no, Thomas Aquinas put it this way Deus est. Ends. God is not a being. God is being. God is not a lover. God is love. Utterly transcendent. You can't put your finger on it. You can't, you can't even name it. I am who am. When I was in the seminary, he said, well, the, the best translation they can come up with is none of your business. You ain't gonna get it. And in the 70s, we tried to realize that even though we couldn't pronounce it, we wanted to do something about it. And the very first translation, I can remember when it first came out of the Jerusalem Bible, had the name Yahweh Y H W H, Yahweh. And as a matter of fact, many, many songs were written in our, in, our, in our little songs books. Yahweh called me before I was born. From my mother's womb, he pronounced my name. I, I, except, for, except for after a while the, especially the Jewish community began to say why are you naming the one who cannot be named we find that rather insulting as a matter of fact in the mid 2000's I, I, yeah, it was John Paul II I think who sent out a letter and said don't, don't, don't use the word Yahweh anymore and so you're going to see when you look in your songbooks, books you, the, the, the word Yahweh is gone and yet there was a rabbi and I, I just love this the rabbi says look at you can acknowledge Yahweh without pronouncing his name. As a matter of fact, Y-H-W-H, in, and in Jewish and Hebrew, there are no vowels. The vowels are the little jots and tittles at the top. And that's how you somehow think, how you know how to pronounce it. But Y-H-W-H really cannot be pronounced. He said, but it can be lived. It can be breathed. He says, when you inhale, it's and when you exhale, I find that amazing. You're not naming God, you're breathing God. You're breathing God. The very first breath you take is the breath of God in you. Never ever leaving you. The very last breath you take is the breath of God in you it is just an absolutely amazing thing that's going on we are we're breathing him now now this means that our God is utterly transcendent but because we're breathing God totally imminent we need to hold these two things together you're never going to figure out God don't try But you're never going to be separate from God. You're never going to be separate from God. Your very breath is the breath of God. And Paul picks up and kind of alludes to this, that that God is ultimately intimate and personal and utterly transcendent. And when he talks about what's going on with the Hebrews in the desert, he's using kind of interesting liturgical language. And, and, and he talks about the people who were baptized into Moses. Of course, he's talking about the baptism through the Red Sea, coming into a new land that was going to be flowing with milk and honey. And then he says, and then God fed you with the spiritual food. The manna came down from heaven. Now, these are kind of Eucharistic symbols. And, and the water from the rock. And, and I find this sentence really fascinating. And the water, the spiritual water from the rock and the rock was Christ. Well, wait a minute. This happened long before Jesus was born. So who is this Christ? And of course, we now know, as we've been studying more and more about what it means to be the body of Christ, it does not mean that, that Christ is Jesus' second name. It's, <laughs> Christ was the title of what happens when matter meets spirit. That is the Christ. So all of creation contains the Christ. Everything contains the Christ. You cannot be separated from Christ. All matter, all beings, all creation, has and whenever the matter, whenever matter and spirit are inseparably joined, there's the Christ. Well, that is ultimately good news, which means we cannot be separated from God. ever. No, we, we can turn around, we can forget, we can bury it, but you can't ever run away from it. I, I must confess, if I have a life message, and if I have a sermon to preach, that's the sermon I've preached, because you've heard it preached here every week you've ever come. <laughs> it's all I preach. What can separate us from the love of Christ? Heights, steps, powers, war, famine, nothing, nothing. We are one with the Christ. This is this is the, the the great message that you know everybody has a life message and I really believe this is the life message that that I've been called to continue to proclaim and yet in today's gospel Jesus is saying not so fast. Don't get cocky. Don't think you've got God in your pocket. I have to smile when I hear confessions, and I hear a lot of confessions over at St. Michael's every week, and there are people who come literally every week to confess exactly the same sin. And every once in a while they'll say, I, I know, I know, I know, I should not presume on the mercy and grace of God. And my response is always, If you can't presume on that, what are you presuming on? <laughs> if you can't trust that, What what, what do you trust? Of course you presume on the mercy and grace of Christ. Ask and you shall receive. The Spirit can never be turned away from you. So keep asking, keep pounding, keep knocking on that door. And yet today Jesus is saying, don't get cocky. If he is utterly transcendent, then if you think you've got God in your pocket, you are really, really mistaken. You don't understand. You really don't understand. If you honestly think that 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 you are better than because you know these things, you little Gnostic, you. If you are better than the Galileans who who Pilate mixed their sacrificial blood of, when he killed them with the blood of, of idols, and don't don't think and, and they were they were punished because they were bad. Don't think that. Don't go there. Or if you and 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 then he says. If you don't repent, you're going to perish. Oh, those are... Where's this presence of God? Here. If you think that you are better than the ones on whom the the Tower of Siloam fell, think again. Think again. They weren't the most sinful people, and that's why that happened to them. That is not a quid pro quo. Think again. And yet, you too are going to find yourself... If the divine spark's still there, you're not going to see it. Because you are so convinced that you've got it. So, well, Thomas Merton said it so clearly at the end of his life. He said, How do you, how do you, how do you work out your salvation? He says, You work out your salvation daily in fear and trembling. And I said, Boy, for Merton, that's quite a statement. But what he's basically saying is that, is that God is so utterly transcendent, so utterly different, so utterly powerful, so utterly wonderful that that you ain't going to figure it out. And so you surrender in humility by taking off your shoes and say, I am vulnerable before this entire mystery, and I and I depend upon the mercy because I cannot self-save. And so Jesus is saying, you keep going, it, and repentance is never-ending. We begin every Mass with repentance. We begin every Mass with seeking the mercy of God. But what I love about this Gospel is after he goes through this whole little diatribe about don't get too cocky, don't think you've got God in the pocket, he tells this story about the fig tree. And he says, the guy goes out, the owner goes out, and he sees the fig tree, and the fig tree doesn't have any fruit on it. He comes back, and he sees the gardener, and he says to the gardener, he says, "Uh, uh, cut it down. And the gardener says, Second chance, second chance. <laughs> well, which is it, God? Yes or no, or both and? Well, we we dance that little dance, don't we? We got it, we don't got it. We see it, we don't see it. We own him, we don't own him. We're connected, we feel disconnected. Uh, and, and that is the utter, other, otherness of God. But yet there's that, incredible connectedness with God. Let's try it again. Put a little manure around it, hoe it, water it, let us see if it bears fruit. If, if it doesn't, we'll cut it down. But I got a hunch, he came back the next year, he says, one more year. <laughs> Let's try it again. That, that, that's our God. You, you see, it really is true. When all is said and done, it's not what you know, what you've got in your hip pocket, but who you know. And we're pretty well connected. Take off your shoes. You are on holy ground, the very ground of your being.